He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Matt, hello. Hello. Uh, this is uh, this is Jason Kebler, Motherboard's editor in chief. I'm here with Matt Galt, the normal host of Cyber, who is running our Twitch stream right now, but is not hosting Cyber. It's a very complex situation happening. It's very technologically complex. You could not possibly understand all of the bits and bobs we have going on. What's up, Matt? Not much. I'm sitting here. uh, I've got the chat running. I've got all the articles up I need to be speaking to and cutting to. And um, I'm, I'm, I I don't know. I got all these buttons to push that can make all these different noises. I've got a lot of power right now. You're a guest running the show, but I'm running the show. It's very bizarre. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's the magic at Motherboard. That's what we do here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't see me if you are listening to this on the cyber feed, but I got a new camera and I look really great. It's just very good, very good vid- video quality, which took me a really long time to figure out. I'm using a mirrorless camera and I got it hooked up to my computer. I'm very proud. Very, very proud. Look at this incredible um, depth of field on him. Look at that. It's gorgeous. Okay. Okay. And everything. Um, anyways, we are here to talk about two of your articles, um, specifically about Russian disinformation in the conflict. I'm not sure if we're calling it a war yet in Ukraine, although uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine's borders. Um, and we're very used to Russian disinformation. We talked about it endlessly during the 2016 campaign um, and you know, ever since that. But I feel like the ways that we talk about Russian dis- disinformation has changed over the years. And that's the that's sort of the uh, thrust of your article that you wrote yesterday, which is called The Internet is Debunking Russian War Propaganda in Real Time. Um, so what what's going on here? What's the what's the broad thrust of, of what's happening? The broad thrust of what's happening is that you know, this is something that I've been studying and interested in for a long time. You guys kind of picked me up out of uh, war blogging or is boring. And one of the things I always used to do there was write about Russian propaganda, especially in the run-ups to uh, like the seizure of Crimea and the initial incursion into Ukraine in 2014. Um, and the <laughs> Russia is kind of doing the same thing it was doing eight years ago, but people uh, watching the disinformation online and picking it apart have gotten much better and much faster at kind of debunking uh, what's coming out. And we're used to used to be that things would take a couple weeks, maybe a month to kind of verify uh, and like pull through all these videos and like find out where things were happening and, and, and figure out the truth of kind of what was being published online. Well, now it's happening almost instantaneously within hours. Um, it's really kind of fascinating how quickly the open source intelligence community or OSINT uh, as people refer to it online, ha- has built itself over the past few years. Um, and of course, they are not just looking at Russian propaganda. That's just where a lot of it is coming out of right now. Uh, there's a lot of great inf- stuff about um, Iran and China and America itself. Um, but this specific article, uh, the first one, uh, the Internet is debunking Russian war pop- propaganda in real time. I kind of looked at two very specific uh videos that had come out in the past few days out of uh, the Donbass, out of the East Ukraine kind of region where separatists, Russian-backed separatists are uh, uh, trying to leave Ukraine and now being supported by Russia. The first um, 
was something that was published by a Russian news agency on February 21st. They said that uh, five Ukrainian soldiers had crossed the border into Russia, riding two armored personnel carriers, and that Russian forces destroyed both of them and killed the five Ukrainians. Um, they later released helmet cam footage of this incident with the destroyed APC. Um, well, very quickly, people online had pulled apart the uh, the footage, the helmet cam footage. They'd figured out where it was um, and figured out that it was in a location where some previous Russian propaganda uh, had been filmed. And furthermore, that the APC in question... All right, there's dick butt, sorry. The, the, the APC in question, <laughs> the one that's featured here, uh, is not one that the Ukrainians own, are known to own, and is in fact uh, one that the Russians had, that Russians do have, and it had been painted to make it look Ukrainian. Um, also, the, the other one that I thought was really fascinating... Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, we'll sorry. get to that in a second. So I, I do want to talk about the video, the purpose of the videos, and then kind of dissect them a little bit. It's like, from what we understand, the hope here is to publish propaganda that shows Ukrainian aggression against either separatists or against Russians uh, in as a, as a pretext to give Putin the ability like to give him cover to invade Ukraine. Like that's the general thought as to like why they're publishing this. Correct. Yeah. It's funny. Okay. So I had a conversation as part of this article with Elliot Higgins, who is a gentleman that runs uh, an organization called Bellingcat, um, which I would kind of say has led the charge on a bunch of this open source investigation stuff. And we can kind of get into his background and his role and a lot of this later. Um, I talked to him about this and I was like, I asked him what the point of this was. Why are they doing this? Um, because as he said, and I've noticed, and a lot of other people have noticed, it's a lot of this is very amateurish. Um, it's very easy to pull apart. It's very easy to debunk. It's very easy to look through the metadata of these videos, find out when it was filmed, where, you know, if it was pre-staged, that kind of thing. So like, why do this? Um, well, it generates a lot of content that is not aimed at Western audiences. We have to remember that like there's there's two kinds of propaganda when we're talking about you know big picture propaganda. There's outside track propaganda, the stuff you're giving to people like outside of the system or outside of the country, and there's inside track propaganda, which is stuff that you're you're making for the domestic audience. I think a lot of this stuff is for domestic audiences. This is not for us. This is stuff for the people in Luhansk, Luhansk or Donetsk in those eastern breakaway regions. And it's for, critically, people in Russia. Say like, so it is not to convince anyone outside. I think Putin has been pretty clear that he doesn't give a shit what people outside of Russia particularly think about this. Um, this is to con- this is so that people inside the country look and see like, okay, the Ukrainians are aggressive. Um, they are committing atrocities. They are, in fact, killing ethnic Russians and Russian-speaking people in this eastern region of Ukraine and building mass graves and dumping people bodies into it, which is one of the narratives, narratives that's being perpetrated here, to be clear. Like, that is something that they are saying is happening. Um, so that's who it's for. And when you, if you are a person... Um, that is looking to get your biases confirmed and you already kind of felt a certain way about a topic and you see something like this, 
um, you may not take the time, even just the five minutes to, you know, look very hard at it, right? To kind of go underneath the surface and pick it apart and find out what's actually going on here. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think um, it's not exactly the same thing, but uh, my partner does a lot of work um, on sort of the Uyghur genocide in China. And that's something where, you know, kind of the broader world knows what's happening there. But within China itself, there's a lot of propaganda that is intended for a domestic audience to um, either portray the Uyghur population as dangerous or to show that something is not happening. And so it's not the exact same thing, but I can see it. I can see a world in which it's, you know, for a Russian domestic audience to um, specifically make an unpopular war, an unpopular um, incursion, something that's more palatable to the Russian people. No, I think that's a perfect example, actually. I think the Uyghur genocide is a perfect uh, analog for this in terms of propaganda, right? The the actual actions are not the same, but in terms of like the propaganda output, I think that's a really good example. Right. So, it, I mean, it is really, it's, it's interesting though, because a lot of Russian disinformation has been um, targeted either at the United States or at, you know, other countries in Europe, um, either to sow chaos or to actively just, you know, sow prop- propaganda. Um, you're saying in this case that that may not be what they're trying to do. Um, but it's still, it's good that people are debunking these things much faster because I, I remember covering some, you know, either natural disasters or just like big news events and there being disinformation and them going extremely viral. And then it turns out like, Hey, this image from hurricane Sandy from hurricane Sandy, I say in air quotes was actually from some other hurricane 10 years ago or something like that. And it's like, it by the time those got debunked, it was too late. They had already gone viral. It was like, it just was not um, useful because we've seen with fact checking in general, it's like, yes, you can fact check all you want, but if you're fact checking a week after the fact, or if you're fact checking after millions of people have already seen the thing, then it's, it's too late and it's, it's useless. It's like, because only a fraction of the people are going to see the actual fact checked version of, of what happened. So um, I think that, this is not a question, but it's good that, that people are, are kind of recognizing this for what it is. Um, yeah. Being in the bud and uh, to some extent making fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the subject of the other article I wrote. Okay. So yeah, I think that's really a really interesting point. Cause I feel like over the past five or 10 years, we've had all of these viral images um, that have popped out pop, viral images and viral videos that have been debunked later. I think people remember that. I think people remember that um, and they they are more skeptical now. I also think, and I think this is an important part. You of think it. people are learning. That's I do. good. I do think That's people great. are learning. Um, I, I also think um, people don't. Tr- the other the important thing I th- that, that I really think is important about this stuff is that it's open source intelligence sources. It's people online coming together as a community and building out the information. This is not, say, the CIA or the state department coming to you and saying, and like laying out like, all right, this is what's actually going on in this video. Because I think in a post nine 11 post war in Iraq world, people don't trust Western intelligence either. And quite frankly, we shouldn't. Right. 
Um, they've they've also proven it's to a beautiful thing when people on the internet come together to uh, investigate some sort of crime and then post about it on the internet and, for example, misidentify the bomber of a uh, marathon. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the <laughs> your, the Boston bombing marathon is the famous one, right? Um, I do think people are more careful and cautious now. I think people remember that stuff. Uh, and I think it's happening. It's really fascinating too, because I'm seeing less things bubble to the surface, uh, because I was, I spent a lot of this morning, um, in reference to this article, separatists in Ukraine try to combat disinfo claims, meme format, uh, create meme format by mistake. Uh, this is a screen grab from a video that was shared on a telegram channel by, uh, uh, the Luhansk, Luhansk People's Republic. It's a pro-Russian, Russian, one of the pro-Russian separatist movements. Um, there are so I was basically I saw the memes first, and then I had to backtrack to like find this guy, figure out what's going on, figure out what the original context of this was. This was not the original. No, picture. no, that <laughs> was not the original. This is in fact the original picture. <laughs> this one right here, which is let's describe it for people um, who are just listening. Okay, yeah, so it's yeah, you can you do it. Yeah, it's a tweet from Charlotte Lawson, who's a reporter at the Dispatch, um, who's also been deep in these Telegram channels. Uh, the, her quote is: "The new the LPR claims mortar fire from Ukrainian forces hit a house belonging to occupants who had recently evacuated to Russia." The speaker holds up a paper with the date twenty two o two, twenty twenty two, in an apparent attempt to show that the incident was not pre recorded, um, and it's a it's a it's a Larger, more heavyset gentleman uh, with kind of this f- pained, strange, uh, kind of grotesque face. I, I, you know, I don't know how else to say it. Um, in this very uh, garish green armor um, with uh, blue sashes on it, almost like a UN peacekeeper, but it's for it's like a separate organization that uh, keeps the pe- that that is supposed to be watching a ceasefire that's going on uh, in Ukraine. Um, and he's it looks holding like the blue, the blue toad from Mario. But yes, but uh, the the mushroom cap is a blue helmet. Yes, and he's standing on an almost completely black background. This is uh, ostensibly filmed at night with a uh, kind of a small fire raging in some windows distant behind him, and he's holding up a piece of paper that is in a uh, that is just a completely white piece of paper with the date, the claimed date on it, right. Um, and so what happened is this, this is one of the, the images that just happened to bubble up from the surface out of, I'm literally, literally hundreds, hundreds of telegram videos that are similar to this that I saw this morning. Um, so what people have done is they've taken this picture and they have photoshopped all sorts of bizarre things because it's kind of the perfect image to Photoshop. He's holding up this blank piece of, he's holding up this piece of paper. It's very white. It's very easy to take apart and he's standing on a black background. So you can kind of move him wherever you want. So we've got, uh, you know, a picture of him in a green helmet, like, uh, like he's a Warhammer figure holding up a picture of the God emperor. Um, there's wow. Some of my, some of the memes are not loading. I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to fix that later. Um, but there's uh, there's just a lot of there's there's a great one up here where he's uh, holding up a dick butt. Somebody photoshopped him into a Dunkin' Donuts. Someone photoshopped him into uh, uh, the crucifixion. Just all sorts of bizarre uh, scenarios that he was in. But the 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 reason I initially started talking about this uh, was that 
this was one image that bubbled up into kind of more mainstream sources uh, out of literally hundreds of videos that I, I was cruising through on Telegram. Why did I get, I know what's going on. I know I figured out, I figured out why I got cut out guys and it won't happen again. I apologize. <laughs> um, but this Anything was good. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. Uh, I know what happened. Uh, I said, I set up the video slightly wrong. Um, so this was one image out of hundreds that bubbled up to the surface. Uh, yeah. Thanks Jason. This is one video that bubbled <laughs> up to the surface out of hundreds uh, on telegram. Um, and I feel like even just a few years ago where something like this to happen, we would have seen, Way, way, way more of this kind of propaganda stuff, uncritically non-memed, thrown up onto the internet. Um, so it's kind of heartening that when this kind of thing surfaces now, it's kind of immediately taken apart and made fun of. And I think what's another really important part of the story is that he's holding up a piece of paper with the date on it that's not a newspaper. A newspaper, yeah, <laughs> because that's what they're trying. They're clearly trying to sort of imitate the hostage situation where it's like, prove the hostage is still alive. They hold up, you know, a piece of paper, uh, a newspaper uh, with today's date that ostensibly can't be faked or would be harder to fake, but they just did a white piece of paper and put the date on it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And the, re- um, the reason... It, it's Sorry, go ahead. It's interesting to me because uh, this is in a sense, a response from Russia or whoever put this out, realizing that people were debunking their other videos. So they're like, Hey, this one's real. Here's the date. You can see it's real because of the date. Um, that's how I read it. At least is that how you read it? Yeah, no, that's absolutely how I read it because one of the, in one of the other cases that we looked at, um, one of the, uh, I'm going to get the dates here slightly wrong, I think. But one of the 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 prop, like one of the things that happened a few days ago, I believe on the 18th, uh, was the heads of the LPR and the DNR, the breakaway regions, um, claimed that they were they were calling an emergency evacuation of the area of all citizens into Russia because uh, they were afraid of Ukrainian aggression. People are dying. We have to get our people out of here. So people pulled the metadata out of the videos and immediately discovered that this was not an emergency evacuation, that the videos had been filmed two days earlier um, and that all of it had been pre-recorded and pre-staged this emergency evacuation. Um, Higgins told me, uh, quote, they basically manufactured a refugee crisis so they could put them in camps across the Russian border. So they could be filmed by Russian state media to show evidence of this refugee crisis. That they were claiming as part of a genocide that is ongoing. Right. So, since then, and, I, and again, I looked at a lot of Telegram videos this morning. Since this is debunking has been going on, every single shot of these guys in the green armor with the blue sashes where they're standing in front of the wreckage of a school or they're looking at uh, artillery shells that have exploded, they've always got uh, a piece of paper with the date on it in front of it. Not a newspaper, but a, literally just a piece of paper. All right, Cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
All right, cyber listeners, thank you for sticking with us. You are listening to Jason interview me about disinformation. Right. So I, I do want I want to talk a little bit about the um, methodology of debunking some of these things. It's like, as you mentioned, there's metadata embedded in videos and photos that sometimes, depending on if it hasn't been scrubbed or, or the settings of the camera or phone that was used to take it, um, can include like the GPS coordinates of where something happened. Uh, it can include the who who uh, recorded it, like the name of the phone or the name of the camera. Uh, it can also include uh, things like the resolution, which is usually not that important for something like this. It can also include uh, the date and time that it was taken. This is sort of like the easiest possible debunking, I would say, is like if you screw up the metadata of, of a photo, it can be used to glean a lot of information. Um, notoriously Vice Media Company um, was with John McAfee when John McAfee was a fugitive, a wanted fugitive, and someone failed to scrub the metadata. And we took a photo with him. We, meaning people who predated me, uh, this was several years before I started working at Vice and before really anyone at Motherboard still worked here. Um, anyways, it, it was then used to determine where John McAfee was. And it's like, that is unfortunately exhibit a of like how not to do metadata. Like you got to scrub that shit. Um, is the metadata being scrubbed from this stuff? I would assume yes. But, but at the same time, it's like you said that the metadata on some of this stuff was still there, which is just, it's amateur hour, right? Right. Um, so there's another thing that Higgins said was that it was completely ridiculous how amateurish a lot of this is. Um, but I was looking around this morning uh, I was looking at stuff published in the last couple of days on the Telegram channels. Uh, and you can download all the videos. And Telegram is one of the few social media platforms that does not automatically rip out metadata. You know, if you upload things to Twitter and Facebook, it automatically just pulls it all out, right? Um, if you upload something to Telegram, it's all still there. And I was pulling things down today and some of them would have metadata scrubbed or maybe just the dates weren't there. And then other things would have everything. So it was kind of all over the board. Uh, I think that there, I mean, there, I cannot stress enough how quickly videos are constantly coming out uh, where it's another guy standing in front of something that they're, they're saying has been destroyed by Ukraine. And I should say Ukraine, Ukraine's uh, defense ministry has repeatedly denied that they are even operating um, or shelling in the region at this point. Uh, put that aside. Uh, but yeah, so I think like talking about methodology is really interesting. And I think this, this one uh, that we talk about in the piece and then Higgins in a really great Twitter thread here really breaks down um, what happened? Uh, it was February 18th. A Telegram video was posted on one of these Telegram channels of uh, what is supposedly Polish-speaking people uh, attacking chlorine tanks um, in the breakaway region. And so they immediately went in and somebody in the community found out the metadata was all there, uh, telling, like, showing when the stuff was actually filmed and it still had all of the like backend information about how it was edited together in Adobe Premiere. And then, <laughs> and then from there um, it had the original file names of both the audio and video uh, that they had pulled together to make the project. And then very quickly they were able to kind of track down these initial um, 
videos and like find them on YouTube. So like a quick search on YouTube reveals that just one video with exactly the same name as the file in the metadata of the Polish saboteur from a military firing range in Finland featuring a number of bangs and explosions. So they pulled out the bangs and explosions and then layered them into the audio, the soundtrack of what they had. Um, couldn't even be bothered to make their own bangs and explosions, had to pull some from a YouTube video and the people, I love that. Yeah, I know. And then people went in and pulled apart the audio track and were able to get as far down as like finding where the edits were, where the hard edits and stops were like <laughs> using spec, like a spectrographic analysis and this kind of thing. And the, and, and again, this is like, this is Higgins tweet thread, but he's very clearly, he's not leading. He's, he's, he's collating the information that the community is putting together, right? What he's, well, I made that joke earlier about sort of the Reddit Boston bombing thing. And it's like, yes, people in general are, are more careful now. Um, you know, there have been sort of open source investigations into like Nazi rallies and things like this, where people have been misidentified and it's been very controversial as to like whether people should be doing this because on one hand it's like, yeah, fuck them, uh, dox them, tell their employers, that sort of thing. On the other hand, it's like, well, sometimes people are wrong. I would say when you are doing this with war footage in what is an imminent global conflict and you're sort of grabbing it from telegram groups where you know either Russia or separatists are known to operate, it's like much less, much less ethically dubious on the one hand. And on the second hand, it's like Bellingcat really knows what it's doing. Yeah. It's like the people who are doing this stuff. Um, yes, there are many amateurs doing it. And I think that, you know, I don't have a problem with amateurs doing OSINT investigations in general. Um, I don't think many people do, but it's like, it's generally being filtered up through these very professionalized groups that really know what they're doing. Um, and so, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's important. I think it's cool. I think it's, uh, I think it's cool from the, the methodology standpoint. It's like, it's, it's relatively sophisticated, as you said. Um, and another, I mean, another thing that's, that's been done metadata aside is you, you look at the actual content of the footage or of the photograph and you try to identify, like, as you said, it's like, well, this tank is actually, not a Ukrainian tank. It's a Russian tank. Um, and you're able to take the actual content of the photos or the videos and then apply some research to it. Um, a lot of things have been geolocated based on, um, based on like background features in the photo or, or something like that. I think one of my favorites is, uh, Putin. Putin was like shirtless somewhere catching a fish. I believe there, there was, there was many propaganda photos of Putin doing something a few years back. Um, and, uh, a biologist was able to determine sort of the, uh, the vegetation in the background only grew in a certain part of Russia. And so they were able to point to where, where Russia is. Um, we have a question in the chat about what the Reddit Boston bombing thing is, which I've now referenced a few times. I'm just going to explain that real quick for people who don't know. Um, immediately after the Boston bombing, which I believe was like 2015, 20, or maybe earlier, 2012, something like that. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Uh, there was a, a subreddit formed where people were trying to investigate who the Boston bomber was because there was a 
24 or 36 hour manhunt in which this bomb went off, people died, people were disfigured and hurt. It was a horrible terrorist attack, but no one knew who did it. And so what they did was they took photos from the, uh, from the finish line and videos and surveillance camera footage that was available and Reddit basically went into a frenzy and tried to determine who did the bombing. And they basically like looked for people with backpacks. They looked for people who matched FBI descriptions, things like that. And ultimately they identified someone who they said was the bomber, but it was not, it was the wrong person. And the person that they identified was then found dead, uh, in a lake, I believe. And the, I actually don't know if we've ever figured out what happened to that person. Um, but I believe it was a suicide. Um, that's kind of what people thought. And it's like, this person was basically wrongly accused of doing a terrorist attack by an internet horde. And it was very bad. Um, 2013, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I got, I I got that story mostly right. Correct. You did. Um, and I think that that's really important and was a coda I kind of had at the end of my piece um, uh, is about the ethics of this, uh, the ethic, the ethical guidelines that are being used to make sure that something like that does not happen. Um, and we're in kind of this space right now with this stuff where those ethics and guidelines are being crafted right now. Like those conversations are happening Right now, I was literally part of um, a uh, like a workshop put together by the Stanley Center, which is kind of this uh, uh, nonprofit organization that's focused on like nuclear disarmament and world peace, uh, where they were asking the question uh, of journalists and uh, open source investigators uh, in general, like when do when is it okay to publish something uh how do you how do you vet the people you're working with that are sometimes anonymous online um what you know when you're talking about a war uh it's life and death you know how do you be sure that the information you're sharing online even if it's debunking propaganda isn't going to get lead to somebody getting killed Right. And this is, again, something I asked Higgins about. And he said that he was deeply aware of the responsibility and that he sees right now their job at Bellingcat is obviously they do kind of big picture articles. Um, but when he's working on these threads and he's putting out all this disinformation stuff, they have triple checked it. He told me like he's not he's not signal blasting anything that is not been verified by his own people. Um, and they also, they have guides on their website for how to get into this stuff and how to do it correctly. They also host, uh, like training seminars that you can go to and like walk through how to do this stuff. And like, you know, using the sun and shadows for geolocation, how to track desert locust swarms, like using, you know, open source information. Uh, but you all, if you are going to do any of this, I do think that needs to be in the forefront of your mind that you need to be worried, especially when you're dealing with war, this is life and death stuff. You have to be sure you have to be sure. And that's why um, one of the things that Higgins is doing right now is like these wars now generate hundreds of, you know, hours of video and photos that are uh, posted on social media by just people that are there. Uh, and he's, they're trying to archive most of it, but as they are archiving, they are being careful 
to make sure that they do what they can to make sure that the people who shared that information uh, are not going to be outed if, if Bellingcat then, you know, pushes it on. Right. So they want to make sure that, you know, there's no reprisals for anyone that's sharing footage from the front lines. Um, and, you know, if they get things, if they find information about like troop movements from satellite imagery, he said he would not post that. Um, mm-hmm. Because at that point, like you are tipping the war in one side or the other, you know, and somebody, a battlefield commander may see your thread and figure out something they didn't know before and know where to attack when maybe they didn't before. And that's the danger here. And it's an important one. And it's there, there are ethical considerations to this work that have to be taken into account. There's that. And I think um, there's sort of like the journalistic angle of open source investigation, which I would argue what Bellingcat does is journalistic in nature, although it's also sort of, it's more of a, um, like a research, like a think tank, larger NGO type investigation apparatus, because it's like, that's what they specialize in. Um, we've also done open source investigations. A lot of them have been pretty frivolous and funny, um, for the purposes of showing what you can do. Like I remember Samantha Cole did one trying to determine Jeff Bezos's uh, shoe size because, I got a tip that Jeff Bezos has gigantic feet. He's not that tall, but I heard that he was like a size 17 shoe or something like that. And so we basically took like a bunch of photos of Jeff Bezos, talked to Bellingcat, um, uh, sort of like measured the pixels in the images. And then she actually went out to um, the Statue of Liberty, like the place where you get the boat to go to the Statue of Liberty, because there was a photo of Jeff Bezos taken there in his shoes uh, standing next to this, uh, this like brick on this brick situation. And we measured the bricks and then we sort of determined like, you know, Jeff Bezos has pretty normal sized feet. He's like a size eight or something. Um, we also did the Timothy Chalamet, uh, did Timothy Chalamet have this, uh, was he a YouTuber? Was yeah. he a YouTuber modifying controllers? And we talked to Bellingcat, uh, <laughs> to, to determine if it was his childhood bedroom or not. Um, and it turned out, yes, it was. Thanks, Bellingcat. Yeah, we also did Who Farted, an investigation um, related to a, lo- a loud fart noise on uh, Hardball, MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Chris Matthews before Chris Matthews was uh, excommunicated for being a bad person. Um, anyways, it's like you can do a lot of frivolous things with OSINT, but you can also do a lot of... Um, very serious journalistic work with it. Um, and I started on this rant because there's this uh, category of TikTok video where someone will post something that's kind of like... The, the, the thing that happens is like a woman will post something where they talk about their sexual preferences and are like, I hope my dad doesn't find out. And then someone does a bunch of research on that person and then makes a TikTok video of them sharing that TikTok with that person's father. And it's just like really fucked up stuff. And this is just to say, like there is a group of people online that have weaponized OSINT and have used it for evil. And I think that anyone like even people who are careful probably don't realize how much information they're leaking just by p- 
posting on the internet. Um, whether it's a photo, whether it's a video, whether it's just posts, it's like, I've seen things where people's language has been analyzed and has been used to identify them from pseudonymous accounts and things like this. And it's just like, um, as you said, there's a really good quote in here. It's like, this is a really powerful investigative technique and it should be used carefully. Or in our case, we use it for fun sometimes, but on frivolous topics where people are not going to get hurt. Um, and so I think that that's like a good, a good reminder because there are a lot of people who are just like getting into this for the hell of it. Um, which is fine if you are careful about the information that you're releasing and why you're doing it. And if you're sure that it's accurate when it comes to something like the Ukrainian crisis. Yeah. The, this is a quote from the Stanley center. These are powerful tools. The open source intelligence community can break news, hold governments to account in Pierce attempts at secrecy, they have remarkably effective. They have been remarkably effective at preempting and displacing Russian disinformation about the situation in Ukraine. But if you ask around, most open source intelligence analysts will have a few stories of times they felt uneasy about whether publishing something was the right call. That kind of influence carries ethical responsibilities, right? And I think that's a good thing to remember going forward with this stuff. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to leave it Mm -hmm. um, on that relatively heavy note. But um, this is obviously an ongoing story. Um, As we're recording this, I don't even know what the latest is. It's changing every few minutes, but we'll we'll stay up on it. Matt, you did a really good job uh, just following disinformation in general. um, And I'm sure we'll have more. I know you're working on a story for tomorrow or for later this week so more to come yep and if you if you missed the beginning of this broadcast it will be available as a podcast very soon wherever fine pods are casted please follow us on this twitch channel to get alerts when we go live uh we will be doing more there'll be another show tomorrow with uh, lorenzo talking about some more hacking stuff uh i love everybody in the audience thank you for showing up and thank you for talking to us thank you for everyone who participated in chat so rare that guests give such a long impassioned plea to to subscribe to our pods but thank you thanks for guesting on your on your own pod matt thank you so much jason thank you for taking over the host role right right. goodbye bye traffic jams tailgating pile-ups Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.